When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 50. Can you believe we're in episode 50 of this study? Uh, 49 episodes, 50 to go. I mean, it's just amazing how you can spend your whole life studying scripture and just be fascinated by it. Today is going to be a fascinating study also. Um, we looked before at uh, if you hurt somebody, if you maim somebody, uh, that was in Exodus 22. There's just a little bit more to finish on Exodus 22. So let's go ahead and just uh, look at that. Uh, it is Exodus 22 at the end, which is beginning of verse 29. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but then give them to me on the eighth day. You are to be my holy people, so do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. So uh, God wants God wants an offering from us. And so this would be a reflection of the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That would be giving an offering from your best to God. So when you have granaries or vats, granaries obviously are containers that store grain. And the more airtight the granary is, the more the grain will keep. The, the least airtight, then the grain goes bad earlier. Vats obviously are for probably wine. Uh, and so give from your granaries and your vats. If you think about it, when we have extra surpluses in our life, we store them. Right now, an extra surplus in our life is probably stored in a bank, uh, in a mutual fund. It might be stored as equity in our house or equity in some of the properties that we have, you know, property being paintings or, you know, some people store their wealth and all sorts of strange things. Um, and the great, I mean, the great thing about a painting typically is if it's by somebody famous, it will always go up in value. It will never go down in value because there's only one of them. And the, old, the older time, you know, the more time goes on, the value of that painting grows. So paintings, if you are able to, <laughs> if you're able to store your wealth in paintings, that's not a bad place to go. Uh, even a house is not a bad place to go. Land is not a bad place to go. But they're, they're not permanent and they're never, they're not forever. But back then, they didn't have all that stuff. Really, if you had anything to store a value, it probably went in a granary or a vat. So don't hold back offerings from your granaries and vats. So God's calling his people to, if you have a granary or a vat, you can take some of that wealth and you can and give it away. This is a different way of looking at wealth than perhaps how we look at it in the United States today. We typically think of wealth as income in, uh, expenses out, and the difference between that is profit. Or, and then, you know, that typically we, uh, you know, give a portion of that to various organizations. Uh, but this is a different way of looking at wealth, which is I have, you know, a store of wealth. And God says, don't, you know, don't forget about your store of wealth and, and, and give some of that back also. Um, don't hold back offerings from that. Um, 
So I guess you could say if you have a, a mutual fund, you know, at some point, if that mutual fund is growing at eight or 10 percent, don't forget about, you know, some of that also that that should go back to God. And it doesn't have to go back, you know, every year or whatever. Just know that God um and this is uh, God. God wants you to consider the wealth that you have, but um, this is this is probably one of the things that gets uh, wealthy people into a lot of trouble. I read a book about Rockefeller, and who is one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. He's like a modern day Solomon. Had so much wealth, and he he was just very meticulous about keeping track of every dollar, and he did that over time and became uh, a very 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 wealthy man. And so when he had started, when it came time to start distributing that wealth to other organizations, he was not able to do that because he he started out with colleges and he picked a college. I think it was in Chicago that he started to give his wealth to that college. Well, if you don't earn the wealth and you expect it to come for free, you don't manage the wealth very well. And this college did not manage the income or the, the gifting from the Rockefeller Foundation very well. Uh, and so they were constantly in battles and struggles trying to stay afloat, even though they had a benefactor that was giving the vast majority of the money to, to this college. And in the book that I read, it talked about how Rockefeller struggled with that because he was such a fiscally conservative, track every dollar guy, he kind of expected the college to do the same. But college professors and college administrators are not the same caliber of person as a person who's made billions of dollars off of the Standard Oil. So um, he quickly decided that that was not um, a way <coughs> to fund colleges. He moved into areas of uh, I'll just build facilities for them and then they can figure out how to you know use those facilities. Sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes he would give outright gifts to people um, who had not, you know, meticulously earned that wealth, and so they would, um, uh, they would, uh, you know, if you give a person, if you give a person too much money, uh, then they start to change their lifestyle, and it and it can actually, you know, change. It can change them a bit, and uh, obviously. This is a big concern for a lot of people who have a lot of wealth trying to give it to their children because if their children are not good stewards of their own life without the wealth, they are not going to be good stewards in their life with the wealth. As a matter of fact, it could destroy them. They could they could take that money and start doing things with that money that is uh, very dangerous and deadly to them. And so, uh, and I think Jesus knows this. I think God knows this. Which is why I think he says that each person has to manage their own household, manage everything, um, and and constantly be reminded that the, every gift that we have from God is his to give out to be his hands and feet in the world. And that every generation, every person has to be a responsible person for the, the gifts that God has given you. That is the number one thing that we should teach our children and our grandchildren is to be responsible with the gifts that God has given you. If he gives you um, uh, this much, then make sure that you um, that you stay within your means and, and you know live your life as this. If it's this much, stay within your means in life, but, uh, but be a very good steward of every gift that God's given you. And I think 
Well, I know the reason why God has all these commandments about holding back off, you know, don't hold back offerings from your grains and fats is because God wants you to think. God wants to get into your heart and understand that every gift that you have is a gift from him. And so uh, I I think in modern day world, I don't really worry about anything. I think the thing that most people worry about is taxes, right? (laughs) Because you can control a lot of things in your life, but you can't control massive inflation. You can't control massive taxes. There's just some things that you cannot control. And so you want to store some of your wealth, not in granaries and vats, but in places that it's going to be a little bit immune from taxes and inflation. But there really isn't anything. Um, it's it, and it could all it could all come apart, and um, none of it actually does go with you into the grave. Won't go with me into the grave. It'll be um, going to some other organization or some other people or well, whatever. So it's it's not mine. And it doesn't come with me. And the things that do last are the are the the works that we do for God on this earth that go up into heaven and they get stored for us. And that's really what Jesus always talked about. Store up your treasures in heaven. Don't store them up on earth. I look at the life of Jesus and he had nothing. His whole life, he basically lived as a nomad with very few possessions on his back. If he was hungry, Sometimes people gave him food or sometimes he worked for food and he was okay with that. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus, before he started his public ministry, obviously he had, he had to eat. So did he do carpentry work to eat or did he uh, go out and just do day labor, just enough to survive? I mean, but by the time he was in his 30s, he did not have a big store of wealth in his body. Uh, I mean, he didn't, I mean, he had his body, which was a store of wealth, but he didn't have a lot of stores of wealth. Uh, he gave it away, the whole thing. Maybe to brothers, sisters, mom, dad, I don't know. Anyway, um, I don't know how we got off on that. But he also goes on uh, to do, you know, you must give me the firstborn of your sons. Obviously, this is a dedication that you do. That's uh, uh, This firstborn son is dedicated to God. If it's a cattle or a sheep, um, you, let's stay with the mother seven days, but then you give them on the eighth day, this could go to the priest. Uh, you are to be my holy people. So do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. So this is this is um, this is love God. Have no other gods before me. This is first, second commandment type of stuff. Be my holy people. Remember that I am your God. How do you do that? Well, if you have an animal that's torn by another animal. You could, if you were really, really, really hungry, you might look at that animal and say, I, I can't I can't eat that, or I, I have to eat that, or else I'll die. But God's like, nope, give it to the other animals, give it to the dogs. Um, you will not die, and I will provide for you. This is, this is your to be my holy people. So sometimes God puts these commandments in our lives just to remind us that we are God's people. That how we live our life is different than how other people live their life. The same is true with the church. A lot of people have, you know, particularly the younger generation has a lot of skepticism about the church because they see the church as all about wealth, power, control, laws, anger. And they don't really, they've not seen over the last hundred years as the church being a force for good in the community. 
Um, churches have been very inward focused and not focused on the community, and that has caused this rift between the younger generation and churches. Because, uh, you know, you talk to anybody in the younger generation, they love Jesus. They love the idea of Jesus, who he is. They just don't like his followers. <laughs> and um, to, in order to reach that group of people, churches are going to have to dramatically figure out different ways of doing church. And it's going to require from us, and this is going to happen naturally, it's going to require us to rethink church and the offerings that are given to the church or the way that we pool our resources together to love the community around us. And it has to be a lot more outward focused and a lot less inward focused. And that is just, that's the only thing that's going to save the church. But I am absolutely convinced that the church will figure this out because we will have this younger generation of people going into, uh, you know, into church work and they will they will make this change they because they know it has to be made and so i'm not worried about it at all the church is very flexible and they can figure this out um and i know that they will figure it out all right uh now we're going to move into laws of justice and mercy let's just start reading chapter 23 do not spread false reports do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness on this my friends if there's any commandment that really just gets me, it's this one, bearing false witness against your neighbor. Why would you bear false witness against your neighbor? Well, because uh, probably you want to help your neighbor game the system and to not get the punishment that he deserves or to get something that he doesn't deserve. And so this definitely goes against the commandment, do not bear false witness against. You know, don't. This is a commandment. And it's just giving a little bit more uh, flesh to it. Don't help a guilty person by being malicious witness. Have you um, ever had somebody say something about you that wasn't true? And you knew the reason why they were saying something about you that wasn't true was because they wanted to take power away from you and take power from themselves. My friends, this is Washington, (laughs) D.C. This is all they're about. They spread false, false reports. They have a thing called spin and they they t- tell lies as truth and they sell, tell truth as lies because they are, no, they are so far beyond trying to get to the truth. And this is what happens in a nation uh, where our, our gross domestic product is trillions of dollars and that there gets to be people in Washington that control part of that trillions of dollars and they feel that that control is absolutely critical. And here's another thing that I think will happen over the next 50 years is that that control will go away. That we will see a streamlining of government. We will see distributed government. We will see a lot different things happen in the government, government realm. And then that way, government doesn't become so powerful and it's only you only get to control a little bit of, of the whole pie of government. Uh, and so that, I can't wait for that to happen. That will be wonderful. I'll give you a brief story. I may have shared this story before, but it was in um, Wired Magazine, I believe, a number of years ago, that in a town in New York State, and I can't remember where this was, maybe it was the city of New York, 
they were having problems that when a, the firemen were responding to fires, they would go and the, and the fire plugs were completely covered with snow. And apparently because they had to take the time to find the fire plug, tie into the fire plug and where every second counts, lives were being lost. And so they got a committee together to try to figure out how to solve this problem. And the committee said, well, we need to create a new agency within the state of New York, which goes out periodically and covers up after a storm, the fire plugs. But you think about creating a new agency and how much money that agency takes and equipment and all that sort of thing. And it ended up being millions of dollars. And then what do you do with these people when they're not uncovering fire plugs? And so they're trying to figure that out. And one of the young people I, I said, well, I've got an idea. Why don't we just have people in the community adopt a fire plug? We'll create an app. You know, they can name it. They can adopt it. When the snow comes, we, we know, say, go take care of your pet. Take a shovel. Go, you know, knock off the snow off your fire plug. Knock it down so that if, if there's a fire, the fire people can do it. And they said, well, this is crazy, but they tried it. And it turned out that every fire plug got adopted and they were able to solve this problem without any without creating a governmental program to solve this problem. And the point of the article was that with new technology, with smartphones, with computers, artificial intelligence, all sorts of things, governments, which are already running out of money, are going to have to find more and more and more efficient ways to deliver what it is that they need to deliver to the people. And if you think about what government is at its local level, Government is me and my neighbor deciding that we want to build a fence on our fence line. So we get together, we get a cost, and we build a fence, and, and we distribute that cost between the two of us, and then we maintain that fence. That basically is what government is supposed to do. It's supposed to solve real-world problems that exist. Problem is when government gets too big, um, it, it just becomes a mess, and it's not there to solve world problems. It's, it's there to maintain itself. <laughs> And, and I, I'm not, you know, Jesus says, you, you know, render to Caesar that which is Caesar, God, which that render to God that which is God's. And even Luther and even here we've seen that um, government is there for a purpose. It's to create order out of chaos. The problem is, is that at some point governments get so big that it becomes self-serving. And that is a problem. But that problem will go away. And maybe even in my lifetime, it, that problem through artificial intelligence and computers, it is quite possible that government will become streamlined and flat. Washington, D.C. will get distributed. We might have a portion of the government. You know, all these people live in Washington because that's the seat of government. But if you distributed it, you know, we could have one particular agency of government that actually lives here in Vail, maybe two or three people that work for government and they telecommute. They don't fly to whatever, but they telecommute and they do their work from home. Um, all these great things that are on the horizon are going to be great there and they're awesome. And I am so looking forward to what the world is going to look like uh, in 20, 30, 40 years. I won't be around probably in 50 years, but if I am around in 50 years, uh, it would be or, you know, it would be just amazing to see how everything gets streamlined. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that's a lot of words. All right. Verse two. Um, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. It is in the Ten Commandments. And then this 
expository uh, explanation or case law of the Ten Commandments that we're not supposed to follow the crowd when the crowd's doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. Even back then, now how does this apply to our world around us? How much do we have in our world today that is crowd think? Um, that I can't tell you how many times I've seen over the past five years, some news agency will promote a story or promote a lie. Uh, and when it finally gets all boiled down and distilled, it turned out that it was a lie. And we have fact checkers and we have fact checkers of check fact checkers and people just love to follow the crowd. And that, that is what they love to do. And it says here in the word of God, do not follow the crowd. Think independently. Use your brain. Oh my goodness. This is, um, maybe it's because in my particular case, I am a uh, I'm a person who likes to think about things a lot, and I like to think, okay, is this crowd think, or is this actually the truth? I spend a lot of time thinking about that stuff, and so this resonates with me more than anything else I think we've read in the explanation of the laws of God. Just don't follow the crowd. You know, our mother used to say, if your crowd was going to jump off the cliff, would you jump off the cliff? And we'd say, of course not, and yet... How many people have jumped off the cliff because the crowd jumps off the cliff? And God says, don't do it. Don't show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Man, this, this, I think verse 23, you know, chapter 23, verse 1 and 2 and, and 4, all of this stuff could be, we could talk about this for a lifetime because there's so much of this going on in our com community, in our culture today. Don't lie when you give testimony in a lawsuit. There is in the, I'll just end with this. One of the prophets is Amos. And Amos, not exactly sure what his job was. He was a, he had something to do with figs, I think. Um, but God came to him and told him to be a prophet. And so he preaches against the community of Israel. And basically what he's preaching against is that this is happening all the time. The rich at the time of Amos were using their power and their influence to hire people to come in and, and tell lies. And of course, if you're poor and somebody offers you a million dollars and all you have to do is tell a lie and you are going to live pretty for the rest of your life, then you do, right? So many people would, would make that trade. So they take the million dollars, they go into court and they say lies. And then they live comfortably for the rest of their life. And my friends, I think, as I look around, I think the same is true with the so-called experts in this world. Because you have to say, who's funding these experts? And does their life depend upon an answer being yes or no, or left or right, or up or down or sideways? And if the answer is that they could be making a tremendous amount of money if the answer is this, and they're going to lose a lot of money if the answer is this, don't tell me that they're not thinking about that when they come up with their expert opinion. They will. I guarantee you it's human nature. The only salvation in this whole thing is to get people to tell the truth, to not follow the crowd, and to not show favoritism. Um, you know, when favoritism is, uh, is out there on the line. So 
man, I, I could go on for this forever, forever, but I think I'll end it here. Uh, and we'll pick up again tomorrow. Yeah, we'll pick up again in verse 2 because uh, I think there's probably more to be said on this. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear God, give me your strength and your spirit to follow you and follow the truth because Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we follow the truth, it always benefits everybody. And so give us that strength. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, 